So some feedback from the last episode. Is Sir Michael okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's Happy all now. It's all back in the box. Happy now. Everyone's heard it. It's official. He's okay. <laughs> Everyone was worried about me and not worried about you. They don't want to check whether you got headbutted or not. No. No one cares about me. <laughs> it's all about you. Okay. What else did we mention in the last podcast? We mentioned this um music video where there's one guy lying down on the street and then he goes on to tell other people the the dirty secret. Well, he tells them something and they all lie down on the street as well. And it's a thing. It's not... Yeah, I did remember correctly. So it is Radiohead. It's just by Radiohead. And, and then the lyrics are super appropriate, it turns out. It's like, you do it to yourself. You do... I can't sing. You do it very well. You no. and no one else. You do it to yourself. Just you. I can't remember what comes next. And that's what really hurts. And that's what really hurts. Do it to yourself. And all the wailing guitars. I've been listening to it on repeat. I don't know. Maybe that's a sign that I'm not completely healthy. <laughs> no, it's good to uh, to wallow a little bit. Mm. Yeah, we need to feel sad to feel yeah. something sometimes. Yeah, so it's on the bend. It bends. The bends. Great album. Yeah, great album. I went to see them when I was at uni. But then they were into their electronic phase by then. And Tom York was just flip-flopping around the stage trying to dance the idiotech. I tried listening to Moonshaped Pool this morning. But I was a bit confused. It's quite good. Yeah. Listen to it. I was going to suggest it to you. Okay. I mean, I literally tried listening to it for the first time, so it hasn't made much of an impression on me yet. I think you need to listen. Radiohead now, I think you have to listen to quite a bit before you start to get it. Yeah, I've listened to all the albums up to now. Some have clicked more so than others. I really like the electronic phase. It's good. It's very different. It's... I suppose that's the thing. In a way, it would be worse if it wasn't different. I mean, they've... You know, they've grown older, they've changed. It's it's almost stranger when you do have 40-somethings singing angsty teenage songs. You know, it makes more sense that they should be doing weird abstract. I, I don't know. It makes sense. Because yeah. otherwise you've got the Chili Peppers who are writing angsty songs because they're still angsty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that healthy. I don't know. Do you wish to mention that you lost your game of four in a row? I lost. I was very sad. I didn't even see it coming, and I really should have done. In hindsight, I looked at how you'd won, and I was like, oh, I should have gone there. But then he would have won this other way. Oh, no, he trapped me. He trapped me, and I hadn't even noticed. How embarrassing. It's it's right. It's a fluke. <laughs> it's a fluke. It's a like rematch. Best of three. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah, we're playing chess next, right? No, we're not. We're not. I just wanted to show you this other game. Okay, okay. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. We have here today. Uh, it feels weird to call myself Sir Michael. <laughs> Sir Michael. <laughs> and Tingathy. Tingathy. Yeah, I like that. Not too common, but obviously not too posh either. So today's episode is a book club episode. Well, we're finishing off the Bioshock saga cycle. The last story in the Bioshock series. I say that, we never played Bioshock 2. <laughs> it doesn't count, it doesn't count. Um, Ken doesn't count either. <laughs> there you go then. So, Bioshock Infinite Burial at Sea Part 2. So we start off in Paris, which is clearly not Paris. It's Dream Paris. 
It's idealized dream Paris. We've just received a photo or a painting from a strange man. And he's not asked for payment. Clearly it's a dream. <laughs> it's a dream. You didn't try and steal your wallet. We take the painting and we stroll. We stroll. Oh no, before that we even look up to the Eiffel Tower. Towering beautifully over the Seine. We stroll by the river and we see beautiful multicolored birds. And the boy. The boy dancing with the baguette. <laughs> Just dancing with the baguette, waving it over his head in pure joy. And he's 360 around a column. The scene continues for a few more minutes. As you walk down, I think it's a set of stairs. Yeah, so the set of stairs is the turning point. As you walk down the stairs, you hold out your hand and a bluebird lands on your finger and sings in tune to the music that everyone has been singing in the whole city. Very Disney-esque, really. It, yeah, it is very Disney-esque. And then the bird takes off and you see a stall selling birds and bird cages, which I guess is very striking imagery from Bioshock Infinite. And as you turn the corner again, you see a little girl holding a red balloon. And you're like, Sally? And you run up to her and she she loses hold of the balloon and starts chasing after it. And you start chasing after her. And it goes from a dream to a nightmare. And you're still in Paris at this moment. Yeah, so it's funny because we actually just watched this again recently. And there were so many things that we hadn't noticed the first time around. There are some things that I guess that are relatively in your face that I'm sure I noticed, but I just didn't make a note of. So there's the silhouettes of all the various characters in Bioshock on a stall. The whole city starts like decaying and burning. Uh, it's raining. There's a statue of Columbia, which is obviously the, the giant angel from, from Columbia. There's some foreshadowing. There's some foreshadowing. There's the massive sign about transorbital lobotomy, which is, I think at the time I was just like, oh, that's strange. And now I'm like, oh, that's a bit. Um, and you can see the table with the, the drugs, like the truth serum. Yes. Anyway, the, the main thing is that you, you follow the girl to a door that has Booker DeWitt, private investigator, written on it. And as you step through, there's some manifestation of your guilt at leaving Sally behind a boiler and different images of Sally screaming. And the next thing you know, you wake up in rapture. Yep. And so it begins. And so it begins. But actually, should we talk about it now? The fact that you come across yourself only moments later. After the very slow-paced bit of Paris that you're just wandering through, the game very quickly gives you a lot of very major story points in one go. And you had actually played this before we recorded the previous episode. And funnily enough, so had I, because I played the first 10 minutes of part two. And as a result, I think we referenced some of these things last time as well, because we just got a bit mixed up. So one of Atlas's men is holding a gun to your head. You see Atlas and he just says, oh, just put the girl out of her misery. And they are trying to pull Sally out of the, the vent. So this is literally seconds after the end of Burial at Sea Part 1. And then you see a vision of Booker who tells you how to convince him to let you live. And it's all very strange. And you're like, going, what's going on? I don't remember coming back here. You know, when did I leave Paris? And then the major expedition, which is, you know, do you feel like yourself? You know, no, I feel smaller. I can't see the doors. 
you look at your hand and you see you've got a pinky finger. Yeah. And then you find your own body. When you come across this first time round, I don't think I put it all together as quickly as I should have done. Did you? Well, I already knew this spoiler. Sorry. This is this is what I mean. I'd seen the very end of Burial at Sea Part 2 in some other video. So I kind of knew where it was going. Okay. Should we leave that bit there? The, the intro, I think... That's actually the main scene setting story part of the game out the way. Because after that, it actually drops you into the gameplay. After you've seen your body you walk into a lift and then the game proper starts. You actually gain control of your character fully. You can crouch, you can use your weapons. What is that melee weapon called? It's a skyhook in Infinite or an air grabber in Burial at Sea. And the first thing you do is sneak through a vent. You sneak through a vent and you knock someone out. And it's like, this is a stealth game, FYI. And you're told carpet muffles your footsteps. I did not pay attention to that. Like, or make make use of that at any point. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of how I felt about the gameplay, because I didn't, I mean, I didn't think it was that good, gameplay-wise. Well, I mean, how did you feel about it? I thought it was different, at least. Whereas last time around, in the first part, it was just a rehash of, of everything that happened before. This time they tried something different. I don't think the engine worked... Um, I, I'm probably being unfair, having just come off playing... Mankind Divided, which I thought did stealth very well, actually. I actually really liked it. Give one big difference. Well, there's no formal cover system. And as a result, the stealth feels very haphazard because, because there's no formal cover system and you're not kind of pressed up against objects. It's kind of ambiguous whether people should be able to see you or not. And the game actually always gives you the benefit of the doubt to the point where it's like all of the enemies need glasses. You can pretty much just like walk straight past someone and if you do it quickly, they just won't react to you. But it has the um, the things above their heads. The markers that above their heads, the, uh, the alertness goes up very slowly. I suppose it is a balance issue because what would happen really is if someone looked at you, they would probably be startled and then they'd know you were there. Whereas instead, they kind of just look at you and look at you. And over two or three seconds, this little lightning bolt fills up above the head. And depending on your distance, maybe it's more like five or six seconds, which is plenty of time for you to just go whoop and hide behind a wall again. And then even if they have noticed you, they'll be like, oh, come here, girl, and they'll chase after you. But you just slip behind a wall and then they'll be like, where'd you go? And then you can just brain them with a wrench. Well, sorry, with a skyhook. Once they step behind the wall as well. I think I really like your... I <laughs> my really, impressions. I really like your NPC impressions. <laughs> it's like my impression of you last week going, Oh no, we're trying really hard. <laughs> sorry. I love it when you sing or you end your impressions. Uh, maybe I can be a live streamer yet. Who knows? It's my second career. Or oh, voice talent. Or oh, voice talent. <laughs> Yeah, I can be a voice actor. Good plan. Plan B. Especially for minions at the moment. You've really nailed those. I'm nailing the minion voice. Great. It's like, yeah, it's always been my ambition to be a supervillain. I've got this volcano there and everything. You've kind of got more of a minion voice, I'm afraid. 
you, you might want to tone down your ambitions a bit. This is like the school careers counsellor. It's tragic. You know, well, we could have a listen to your super supervillain voice if you wanted. <laughs> no, I have to work up to that. Sorry. Yeah. Could what? leave it for the anniversary edition. <laughs> my my supervillain voice. Yeah. With my, my moon base or something or Mars base. Yeah. Mars is more. Do, do you think Elon Musk has a supervillain voice? Do you think that's why he's trying to get back to Mars so he can build the death ray and hold uh, Earth to ransom? Anyway, moving on. So you didn't think much of the the enemy AI, but it was a case of black one. Someone will spot the body, then just come up to you, and you just go, you just cloak, and then it's a pile of five bodies. In front <laughs> yeah, we of you. both played the same way, I think, which is we used or abused the invisibility plasmid because the mod you get two mods for it. One that lets you see through walls for free, as long as you don't move. And one that lets you turn invisible for free, as long as you don't move. And once you have those two mods, it is just game over. You can just totally take the mic. So anytime anyone spots you, you just immediately go, you know, well, just turn invisible. And then the alertness meter will just go down again. As you said, the game is very easy at that point because you can just knock out an enemy, turn invisible, and just wait for someone else to see the body, at which point they will come to investigate, and then you just knock them out too. And even at one of the big set-piece moments of the game, when you return to Rapture, and Andrew Ryan sends his army of goons at you, and he says, you know, they'll be there in 60 seconds, you're like, oh, I've got 60 seconds to set up some traps. Because they they recommend that you... Yeah, they, they even says, I should use this time to set up some traps. But actually, I think we both just stood there and just waited the 60 seconds out. Like, Da-da-da. Did you think at any point that you could agree with Ryan? I thought, where's my choice? Where's my choice, guys? <laughs> I would have I would have liked to have the choice. It's true. But, you know, they've just given up even the illusion of choice at this point. So you waited, sorry. That was it. I think we both played the same way. We waited... We knocked out someone and just cloaked over their body and just knocked out all of their friends as well. The first time, well, when I first picked up that mod, I thought the invisibility was given to me for free. I thought it was a passive ability. That would be so overpowered if it worked like that. I wish. But so you just like, and you walked up to someone and they're like, I thought I'd be fine. I thought they wouldn't see me. I just stopped. I thought it's fine. I stopped. You can't see me. But the game is. The AI is quite weak. I just cloaked and I moved away. <laughs> it's that big a deal. His vision is based on movement. Stand still and you won't be able to see us. He's not a T-Rex thing. So what What other gameplay mechanics were there? There were the lockpicks, the different types of tranquilizer. So which tra- did you use all three? So I only used non-lethal weapons. So I don't think I ever fired the hand cannon or the shotgun or whatever else I got. Uh, the microwave gun. It never got that desperate. Never got that desperate. I was generally just meleeing everyone. Or when it got a bit hairy, I would use either the tranquilizer dart or the gas cloud dart. I didn't ever really use the noisemaker. I think I used it once because I thought I should try using it once. But it just didn't seem very effective. So I just never bothered after that. I used the, the noisemaker because... If it was a large area, it just seemed easier to get them to congregate into one area and just fire the gas. 
tranquilize at them. Yeah, you see, that's what I wanted to do, but I fired the noisemaker and they all kind of just didn't really investigate it because it, maybe it was too big a room and I just fired it too far away. You just came across a death splicers. That's your problem. Yeah, maybe. It was the Houdini splicers I had to use lethal weapons against. See, I'm pretty sure I was able to tranquilize them. I meleeed as many people as I could. And the ones that I couldn't easily melee, I think I just cloaked until they had their back to me and shot them in the back with a tranquilizer. It wouldn't surprise me if I'd missed. Missed with the tranquilizer. And that led me to believe that they couldn't be tranquilized. Yeah, and I just hand cannoned or shotgunned them. The ones that actually caused me problems were the Vox Populi heavies, I think, in Colombia. So they were wearing chunky armoured suits. And I had trouble meleeing them. I don't know whether that's just because you can only catch them completely unawares. And if they're in the like intermediate alert phase, I still couldn't seem to knock them out with the wrench. And I had to just shoot them with a trank dart. Okay. And what are the gameplay elements? So there, there was the, the lockpicks. And I said that I triggered one, but for whatever reason, nothing happened. So everything behind me was clear because I cleared the room behind me. But the room in front of me didn't have any... I guess it doesn't spawn anything if you trigger the alarm. It's just if there are enemies, they'll come to you. So I was fine. What about you? I actually set off one in a really inopportune moment. In Rapture, there's the big open room that gets you to all the various sub-areas. The big room with the manta ray lounge and the repair bay and etc. It's the big long room that leads to all of those. And there's a small room in there that has a safe in it and I obviously saw that it had some of the alarm pins one noisemaker pin and like a normal pin so I was being really careful and I was waiting and waiting and waiting and I clicked the mouse just as it went and moved under an alarm pin and so I set off the alarm and I was like shit I set off the alarm and all the spices converged on my location, the big daddy converged on my location and a hatch opened in the floor and a gun turret popped up as well. And I was like, oh, what do I do? And I had to quickly dive back into one of the convenient big square vents. But it's so broken, you just cloaked and just crawled over, right? You didn't have to do anything major. Well, no, I think I was just really shocked and the gun turret just like managed to get a few shots off of me as well. Like, I think I almost died. I didn't actually die though. In fact, I never died in the whole DLC fortunately we and neither did you did you no i didn't so we both don't actually know what happens if you die no we should find out actually we should look it up afterwards because yeah because it doesn't it wouldn't make sense if you did die would it because in infinite elizabeth revives you doesn't she or you kind of step through a tear and it's like an alternate book it just picks up exactly where you're left off but that couldn't really happen in this one could it no. No. Yeah, we should find out later. So, did you miss the tears? Did you miss the gear? I think they're the, the only things left to talk about. So, no, not really. No. No, I agree. Tears, I thought there were some random aids located, no, just situated in the in the rooms. They They didn't add any... They weren't very clever. It was just, oh, here's some medikits. Oh, here's an AI bot for you. I think from a game design point of view, on paper, the tears sound really clever. It's like, well, let's give the player the choice and they can pick something that 
helps with their particular playstyle. So we won't just give them a gun turret because maybe they're playing non-lethally. So, you know, we can give them something like that will make a distraction that's non-lethal or a health kit if they need health. But in practice, it just doesn't really work out like that. It's like, oh, I've got to choose one of these three things. Blah. Wait, are you saying I can pick... If I pick one, the other two are disabled? Well, actually, I think it worked differently in Bioshock Infinite, the base game to the DLC. Because in Burial at Sea Part 1, you would have the options, and when you'd activate one... Well, you could only activate one at a time, you couldn't just activate all three. I think in Bioshock Infinite, towards the end, if you activated one, the other two just disappeared. That's... Yeah, okay. But in, that makes more sense. In Burial at Sea, you could just activate all three, but just not all at the same time. So it, it just felt even more kind of bland. I think we can move on to sort of... I, I, I put them down as moments in the game. Moments that don't fit into the, the greater discussion about the story. But smart moments anyway. Well, let's start with your favourite one. Oh, I don't know what these device... What scope... They're something scopes, aren't they? Yeah, like Cinescope or something. The ones that like play little videos. So there's one in... Is it the, is it in the Manta Ray Lounge? And it has a French name, which I, I, I'm very reluctant to pronounce. I don't Would know. you kindly assist? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm not sure how to say this either. Is it regarderant, effurant, observe? Sounds good enough. This is an Sander Cohen experimental film. And it's certainly experimental as you watch it, but towards the end, it, see, it gives the impression that what does it give the impression? Well, you you look at the video and it says, please stand by, please stand by, and you're just waiting and waiting. And then how does it end? So it gives the impression that, oh, there's something behind you. Yeah, so if I... why are you looking at this when there's someone behind you? And you're like, what the fuck? And you go out of it and you turn around. And there's a statue. There's like a scary, there's a scary statue of a guy in a splicer mask. And obviously my first reaction was shotgun, even though it, it wasn't moving, had to shotgun it just to be sure. It's really funny because my first reaction was to cloak. I just immediately cloaked <laughs> and then turned around on the spot because I was like, well, I'm cloaked. So it's easy mode now. And the thing clearly wasn't moving. I was like, okay, no worries then. That was enough for me. After these, the mannequins in... The first part, I just wasn't risking it. Wait, the mannequins in the first part? Do you mean in Bioshock, the, the original game? No, in the first part of the DLC. Oh, yeah. Where they turn. I wasn't risking it. Yeah, that was another good moment. And I, I recently watched a thing about, uh, you know, reminding me about Bioshock itself. Do you remember in Fort Frolic? There's a similar moment where there are all of these, what look like plaster cast statues. And you come back later and the statues are all gone. It's like, maybe they weren't statues. These plaster splicers try and kill you. Spooky. And that's another Sander Cohen area. So, Do you want to talk about your the, the piece of dialogue, which was very... Yeah, another a piece of dialogue I really liked. Because once you go through the tear into Colombia and have to go to... um, What's his name? The equivalent, what's the game of the equivalent of Sushong in Colombia? 
Fink. Fink, yes. Once you go to Fink's factory and you arrive there at the same time as Booker and you in the base game are there to deal with, well, to deal with the Vox Populi, I guess, in the end. And you say, And what happens if we run into ourselves? We won't. How do you know that? Because we didn't. So it's a nice play on the whole, well, how does time travel work in the Bioshock Infinite universe, since the tears aren't just through different universes, but also different points in time. So another highlight, oh, oh fucking low light. I'm not sure it's a highlight, yeah. yeah. Maybe another moment that made both of us feel deeply uncomfortable, I think. Was the torture scene. That was horrible. I'd actually, it's, it's really freaky because I'd actually read about this like as a procedure. Did you know the guy who invented this? I think actually won the Nobel Prize for medicine for it, which is really fucked up. I think that might be the first time we've sworn in this episode, but I was doing so well, but now I've already done it. It was terrible. I think he won the Nobel Prize for medicine for it. Like the, the procedure of like an ice pick lobotomy. So in the which decade? In whenever, whatever the hell decade it was he invented it. It's, it's within the last hundred years or something, isn't it? Though, you know, the, the further back it is, the less horrifying it is. Yes. Yeah, but it might not be that long ago. It's pretty shocking anyway. It's really graphic. I'm surprised. I can't, fortunately, I don't remember too well how it appears on the screen as he inserts the pick. Imagine, imagine it playing it in vision. VR. That'd be terrible. Yeah, it comes into your field of vision and then it kind of like goes out of it because you can't focus on it. But having read about this procedure on a, you know, today I learned isn't the world fucked up Reddit post. After after the fact or before the fact? Before the fact. That's why I already knew about this procedure as a thing. You know, they, they put this pick in like, you know, through your eye. So they kind of like push your eyeball to one side and slide it like to the side of your eye and then like hammer it into your brain and then kind of like push it up to separate the... Yeah, it's horrible. Really, really grim. So that made me feel deeply uncomfortable even just watching it in a computer game. I, I had to lean back. Yeah, I was like covering <laughs> my mouth like... Ugh. That was a good scene because then... I don't know. You, I don't know what, what happens next. You say something. Well, no, no, no. You're just like, oh, you, you're just like, whatever. You turn as a character. Yeah. I-D-G-A-F. I thought that was amazing. I really liked that bit where she turned as a character. But then, but then he says, okay, fine. Bring out the girl. And he tries to do it to Sally. Instead, and you're like, no, no, no way. Don't do it. So yeah, Elizabeth can't stand the thought of it being done to Sally. And so you agree to fetch the ace in the hole. Which brings us towards the end, but there's one more thing which I wanted to talk about before that. This is the scene with the Lutest twins and Daisy. Yes. Because this scene, they put it, well, I think one of the major criticisms of the base game was that Daisy as a character just seems to go crazy. Why does she suddenly go from being this morally tortured revolutionary she's trying to you know get power well literally power to the people and have a more equal society and then suddenly she just becomes like this crazed murderer and it just seems kind of this doesn't really make sense from a motivation standpoint and to try and patch up this hole in the story so she murders think yeah you're the one who remembered last time yeah i think she just shoots so in the base game 
she just shoots Fink in the head in front of his son, and then she's going to shoot the son as well. So you as Booker are like, don't be crazy. And then Elizabeth stabs her in the back. And that's the whole thing of like, Elizabeth going from being this innocent child to being, you know, more mature and grown up by killing someone. Like, you know, we all had to do it. No, we didn't. Just to be clear, I haven't killed anybody. Honest. So, yeah, it seems very out of place. Because people don't really just suddenly start killing people. It's not like the movies. So, supposedly to try and patch up this weird out-of-character behaviour. There's a scene in Barrelty Part 2 where you are climbing through a convenient big square vent and you see the Lutest twins talking to Daisy and quoting, is it a biblical passage? Where they say, you know, you'll see the promised land, but you won't reach it. You can either sacrifice yourself to bring about your revolution or not, but then it won't happen. And so she feels that she has to kill Fink and act like a crazy person in order to be killed by Elizabeth. So she she matures into... Is that right? Yeah, I think so. That's the, that is the implication. And I thought it was a bit too in your face. It's like not subtle, not subtle at all, guys. Yeah, we wouldn't have missed, we wouldn't have missed out if they removed that part. Two wrongs don't make a right. They, they had something that was like, whoa, that was out of left field. And they said like, no, 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 honest, it's fine. We'll just swerve massively to the right here instead and it'll cancel it out. It's like, no, now it just feels like you did two really ham-fisted things. So many questions about the Lutest twins. I know, I don't understand why they were trying to convince Daisy to act the way she did. What is their motivation? I think it was just Ken Levine trying to fix the story. <laughs> If you had to give them motivation, it would be because they are like Elizabeth. They can see all the doors and what's behind the doors. They could see that in order for Elizabeth to become all-powerful, she has to make this choice to kill Daisy. So their their motivation aligns with that of Elizabeth. In Bioshock Infinite, the Lutes twins are the ones who start the whole thing. They invent the tear device. They are responsible for creating Columbia. They have the Lutes particle that makes it possible to build a floating city in the clouds. And they get killed by Fink deliberately meddling with the machine on Comstock's orders that smears them across the multiverse. And the thing that was meant to kill them effectively makes them omniscient. And Bioshock Infinite really is kind of a revenge story because as much as the story is about Booker and Elizabeth, really the instigators of the story are the Lutes twins bringing Booker into Columbia to kill Comstock and prevent the whole thing from happening in the first place. So their motivation is to kill Comstock and they see that to kill Comstock, they need Elizabeth to attain her full power to prevent him from existing. And in order for her to do that, they need her to become a grown-up and kill Daisy, I guess, and that's why they engineered the situation. I don't know, that was just my reading of it. That makes sense. But they're not in part two. They're in part one. 
they are in part two briefly. So they're in part one at the very end when they appear and tell Comstock you never could accept your mistakes. And in part two, they are there when they row Elizabeth back to the lighthouse and say, well, you're here. You're going to give up croissants and omniscience for death and mildew. Yeah, they talk about her forgetting. They're an integral part of the setup for the game. Like, you're going to lose all your powers because these are the rules. And it's like, are these the rules? Why are these the rules? Apparently, these are the rules now. They are. I guess there's no need to tie up, tie them up to anything. There's not much you can do with them, if that makes sense. Well, they continue just still to exist and be omniscient and enjoy faux Paris with Dancing Baguette Boy or whatever it is that the Lutest twins like to do when they are not being part of the story. I don't know. It's never quite explained what their powers are because they don't seem to be in quite the same situation as Elizabeth. They seem to be both more and less powerful than her. They're just trapped in limbo. Yeah, they're kind of trapped in limbo. They don't exist in any particular universe whereas she can kind of just embody herself at will, it seems. And it's not clear whether they can or can't see the future. I guess they can see the future. I guess they can. Yeah, I'm not sure it matters. I mean, they're they're really there like as a MacGuffin. They just kind of just move the plot along. But it's weird though, because I thought, is it a case that only the right characters can see them? Only those who have meddled with... I don't know what I want to say. Only if you've travelled between universes can you identify with them or can everyone see them I think in every be... universe. And they all have oh, the same mind. I see what you're saying. I don't think so. I think they I think they're only appearing one place at one time. Well, hmm. They're free to travel, but they only exist in one place. Yeah, I don't know. This is getting into more into I mean, this is Bioshock Infinite itself. At the very start of Bioshock Infinite, it's kind of implied that you're not the first booker they've sent to Columbia. Like this is their hundred and seventy eighth try or something. You know, you put that code into the lighthouse. Seems quite random. And then you know, they say heads or tails. Is it heads or tails at the beginning? And you have to mark the signboard. And there's like three tails and he turns around and the whole board is full of... Um, so the whole board shows the count. Yeah. yeah. And and there's a lot of them, which implies that you're not the first one they've sent. Bioshock Infinite's really messed up if you think about it. It's actually really messed up because you don't even finish the game in the same universe that you started the game in. You go through several tears that are clearly stepping into alternate universes where very obviously, for example, you go into one where Booker died as a martyr for the Vox Populi. So you're definitely not in the universe you started in at the end. Not to mention the whole time travel thing. Yeah. Which contradicts the whole, you know, which contradicts it. Yeah, you know, that contradicts it, doesn't it? Because you clearly did change the past or is it an alternate universe? (laughs) <laughs> well then it's okay this is the problem with time travel yeah kids don't do time travel winners don't do time travel <laughs> okay so after the torturing you are let free by Fontaine but this time you have no weapons and then you are asked to fetch the ace in the hole. And 
On your way to Su Chong's, is it lab, I guess? You come across a big daddy who's blocking the doorway. And there are two, to his right are two little sisters. The next step is you're asked to look, look for notes. I don't know what a booker tells you to, your subconscious tells you to, I guess, to look for notes. And one of the notes says that the atom secreted by the little sisters is what will save the big daddies. If only they knew this. And that leads to the next thing, which is you telling the little sisters to, what's the right word? Inject some of their Adam to the big daddy and you create the bond. You create the bond between the little sisters and the big daddy. Yeah, that's kind of one of the overarching, well, that's kind of how this is supposed to fit into the overarching story of Bioshock, I guess. So there's the idea that Fink and Sushong were cooperating towards the end or they knew about each other and they were both stealing each other's work. The Big Daddies and the Songbirds were kind of both inspired by the same idea of a protector and something to be protected. And Chong knows that somehow Fink has managed to imprint the Songbird on Elizabeth as a protector. And he assumes it's a genetic thing and he gets you to retrieve this hair sample, which is ironically your own hair. It's like, I could have just given you some of my hair. Uh, but, and of course the hair's pointless because it's not a genetic thing. It's because you went and helped Songbird when he, you know, you plugged this hose back in. And yes, you are responsible for creating the pair bond with the big daddies and the little sisters. Though, I mean, I don't think it really makes sense. Personally, don't think it really makes sense. It's like, oh, it's a nice story moment. Uh, and you get to see the comeuppance of Sushong because he's kind of like a horrible person. He's kind of a ridiculous caricature, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's like, of all the ridiculous caricatures, he seems like the most ridiculous caricature. But maybe that's because he's speaking in such a comedy accent. I don't know. I'm not even going to attempt to do the accent. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. I was waiting for you to do it. <laughs> no, even I don't think I can't. <laughs> no. So... But, you know, it does make sense. So these are only two little sisters. And then Sushong dies. So how does this concept get, you know, does this does it suddenly spread throughout all the little sisters and all the big daddies in Rapture? I mean, I don't really... It's not like there's... Yeah, because there's only one songbird. There's only one Elizabeth. Yeah. The fact that the fact that this was how the one songbird imprinted on the one Elizabeth is one thing. And the fact that these two particular little sisters may have helped this particular big daddy is one thing. But this is not a repeatable phenomenon. You know, you can't industrialize this. Maybe they did, actually. Okay, fine. Maybe they did. (laughs) They could industrialize it. Just to prove you, prove a point. Okay. Anyway, what's more important is the ace in the hole. What did you think it was? Or did you already know the answer to this one as well? Oh, you mean, what did I think it was before I found out what it was? Yes. I already knew what it was. Sorry, that's the, that's the thing. This game had been spoiled for me before. It's true. It's already been spoiled for me. Because I thought it was Jack. And you were right. Oh. Well, yeah. it was the code phrase for Jack. Yeah. So I was expecting something more dark, more sinister, because I wasn't expecting a piece of paper. Oh, I see. Yeah, you're expecting it to actually be the physical yeah. Jack. And that would have been fucked, because who knows what? that freak was you know as Fontaine puts it <laughs> again I think it doesn't make sense because I, I, I'm really confused with the whole thing right because 
Well, I don't know. It might just be because I haven't played the story, because I haven't played Bioshock recently. I just don't remember all the details of the story. But Jack is on the surface. Doesn't Fontaine already have Jack? Is it just that he doesn't know his code phrase then? Yes. But the code phrase is genetic? It wasn't a conditioning thing? Huh. That also means Sushon prepped Jack already. Yeah, well, I'm confused. I, mean, I guess Sushong did originally work for Fontaine, didn't he? So I guess it's possible that Sushong made Jack before he went into Ryan's employ. That could have could have happened, yes. So I guess it's possible, but would he really have ordered this clone of Ryan made with a particular code phrase and just been like, oh yeah, just make something up, tell me what it is later, and then he didn't get around to telling him? I would have thought it would be more like, Oh, and I've got a really charming fake Irish persona, so I'd like you to pick something that I can say as an Irish person that sounds completely natural and no one will notice. Rather than, Final Fantasy Tactics is the best game ever, would you pick up that wrench? Because <laughs> he, he, he wouldn't have done it under Ryan's employee, it makes no sense. So, th- this is what I mean, like the story! Urgh. It was so close to working. <sighs> so you deliver the phrase... You do. Actually, it's not as simple as that. You deliver the the coded phrase to Fontaine. Yes, and he's like, what is this? It's garbage. What does it mean? Well, you, yeah, you give it to him, and he just, like, smacks you with a wrench. And you're on the floor, and then he thinks, oh, maybe I shouldn't have hit with her with the wrench yet. But then you have some sort of epiphany flash forward where you see the events of Bioshock unfold. And then you tell him, it says, would you kindly? And everyone's like, it's so clever. It's so deep. So she suddenly remembers at the right moment why she came back in the first place at that very moment. So she would then decipher the code for Fontaine to trigger the downfall of Fontaine and the downfall of Ryan and freedom for all the little sisters. Not all five of them that made it into the bad sphere. (laughs) Yes. And you gave up Paris for this? And you gave up Sally for this? No, Sally makes it out. So one of them is Sally. One of them is Sally. It's very heavily implied that one of them is Sally. And I guess canonically then, the good ending to Bioshock is the ending of Bioshock. Yep. Oh, now you say it like that. I'm satisfied. Really? I'm not. (laughs) I'm totally not. Because I mean, the problem I had was, why did Elizabeth sacrifice herself? Because then Sally has to suffer for X amount of time until Jack sorts his life out to save her and the other few. So that's the... I can I can buy it. I can buy it. I'll well, buy it. I suppose the implication is that if Elizabeth did not come back to save Sally and sacrifice herself, Sally would have been harvested for her Adam and died, is the implication. But the very end... Why did she let herself die? Well, she doesn't have much choice. She doesn't have any magical powers. Really? Well, I mean, that's another thing I have a problem with, I guess, because how on a... Songbird is far more badass than any big daddy. And she just teleports Songbird to the bottom of the ocean like it's no big deal. You know, once the siphon is gone... She can do pretty much anything. So the idea of her being killed by a big daddy 
just doesn't seem very realistic in the first place. Okay. She's like, oh no, please don't hurt me. I'm so helpless. Rather than, uh, I don't like the look of you. I'm going to teleport you into a volcano. True. So that's like problem number one. Problem number two. Well, no, I mean, it's saying even if you do accept that she has gone through with this and now she's lost all her powers, then I think it's not unreasonable that she's going to die because she genuinely doesn't have any superpowers anymore. She could just cloak. Take two she steps could back, just cloak two steps back. Okay, that's true. <laughs> that's a very good point. She could very well just cloak. Yeah, you're right. She could totally just cloak and knock out one of Atlas's guys. And Atlas would be like, huh? Who did that? I'm going to go over and take a look like an idiot. Oh, we I could guess- just use possession on him. Yes, you're quite right. It makes no sense. That's why they're taking away all your guns and your abilities. But so it's clear that you have no ability. I guess it's implied. Well... Yeah, they take away all the UI and everything, I guess, to make it clear that, or to make it feel more natural that you're just part of the story now. And it makes it very obvious, like, oh, this is clearly the end of the game. It wasn't obvious to me. I thought I would just pick stuff up again, or I would absorb the powers and pick up the weapons again. You're right, it's because I already knew what was coming. It's because I'd watched, I had seen on one of these, you know, seven times when, one of those type videos, and I'd seen the very end where you're walking along that corridor... And she says, would you kindly? And I was like, oh, okay, this bit. So you take issue with it, the whole loop being wrapped up. I take issue with more than just this. I take issue with the existence of Burial at Sea as well. Like, I think, because I think we said last time, Burial at Sea, what do you think about it? It's like, oh, I didn't think it was very good, but I've heard the next one's much better. And then it's like, you know, what do you feel like now you've played both of them? And I do not feel any better. I do not feel any more like, oh yeah, I'm glad this existed. It added more to the story. I don't, how about you? I'm glad it existed. I can see why they did it. I mean, the impression I got was Ken Levine just wrapped up his saga. He didn't leave it open for someone else to come in and re-envision it, I guess. And And I think that this is already a re-envisioning of it. I think Bioshock Infinite wrapped up the saga really well. I went and rewatched the ending of Bioshock Infinite to remind myself, because I remember it being really, really clever and really powerful, and I wasn't sure I was remembering it correctly, and I watched it again, and it's really clever and it's really powerful. Bioshock Infinite Burial at Sea does not make sense in the context of the ending. Bioshock Infinite, the ending, already wraps it up perfectly. Although I'm just saying that like a total fanboy, I should probably explain myself. Please. So, the ending of... Well, it's possible I've obviously just misunderstood, because my brain is clearly not working as well as it used to, but in Bioshock Infinite, you are Booker, you are killing Comstock, who is also Booker, but in an ultimate timeline where you made a different decision... You chose to be baptised and absolved of your sins, uh, of the terrible things you did at the Battle of Wounded Knee, and as a result, you became Comstock, the prophet. You didn't have children, you couldn't have children, and you decide to kidnap one of your alternate versions of you's child. Fine. And to close the cycle, you know, there will always be a Comstock, so long as there is a Booker. So, Elizabeth drowns you at the moment of decision 
when you could have become Comstock. And there's all the different versions of Elizabeth from alternate timelines you see coming together. And it's almost like they're drowning the concept of Comstock. Either way, you see all of the different Elizabeths winking out of existence. And as the camera pans up, you never see the last one disappear, but it plays like the final note as... And it played a note when each other one disappeared. So it's like, this is the end, they're all gone. But that doesn't mean that she's dead. It just means that all the timelines where she could have been Elizabeth have ended. Because in order for there to be Elizabeth, there must have been a Comstock to kidnap her and bring her into an alternate universe. And that is why, after that ending, when you've been drowned, it's not blackness credits roll you gain control again of booker in booker's office because the only timelines that exist are ones where you didn't choose to be baptized and you walk into the baby's room and the baby is crying in the crib because anna exists so elizabeth maybe doesn't exist anymore but anna exists so it's already wrapped up neatly there's no more comstock there's no more elizabeth because that's how you stopped Comstock from resisting. So, to my mind, Burial at Sea doesn't really make much sense because how could there be one more Comstock for you to chase down? Yes, yes, that sounds very well thought out. I mean, obviously, since we are talking about funny alternate universes and timelines and all sorts of things, I suppose if I was being really pedantic, you could argue that there's going to be like sets of universes that don't necessarily overlap. Maybe this is one that is different in some way because this universe didn't have an Elizabeth because the baby, you know, Anna's head got cut off in the tear. And so like the absence of Elizabeth means she can't be erased and that leaves some sort of imbalance or something. Who knows? This is called overthinking it to try and give them an excuse for why the game exists. In many ways, it's like Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, where if you really love the original, you're like, what is this? This is garbage. The time turner doesn't work like that. And other people are like, oh, more Bioshock. I'm so happy. So, jeez, oh, the illegal street racing started again. Outside your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, sorry. Outside your flat, in your neighborhood. Hong Kong Drift. Fast and the Furious 8. Fate. F fate. That someone someone give me a marketing medal. This is amazing. Come on. F fate. <laughs> Hong Kong. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> Am I glad I played them? Yeah, I'm glad I played them. But I don't think that they they to me, they do not hold a candle to the base game of Bioshock Infinite. I mean, because we've been doing all these like book club episodes and we, all we do is seem like to shit on <laughs> games. I f- sometimes forget like these things are f- fucking amazing. The, what they put together here. So we'll just, what we'll do for this one, we're like two thumbs up for Bioshock Infinite. Just only one thumb down for the DLC. <laughs> I did really like Bioshock Infinite. I really liked Bioshock Infinite. I, I do remember being fully prepared to shit on it. Because I actually didn't like Bioshock that much. Like, I really liked Would You Kindly, but that was the only thing I liked about it. And everything else was like, mm, it's kind of boring, grey and brown and green. 
and Infinite, I was ready to say the same thing about, but actually I really liked Bioshock Infinite way more than I thought I would. So when I say this doesn't hold a candle to it, yes, it's still good. It's just not amazing. So last, the last, last thing is, um, we want to talk about Ken Levine's interview. Yeah. And you picked up on one bit. Well, he seems to have imposter syndrome, which surprised me because he's held up as this leading light of the industry and he seems to have very little faith in his own capabilities. But you can relate to this. Really? Yeah, I've clearly got no faith in my own capabilities either, yeah. Oh, dear. Yes, he's a, he's a very tortured soul. Much more so than I would have expected for someone who has produced such things as, well, as Bioshock Infinite, which is, you know, a very good game. Yeah, I don't know. Did you have more to say on that? No, I, I mean, that bit was for you, really. That bit was for me. I thought, I, the other thing I thought was very interesting, just from a mechanical standpoint, was he didn't want Bioshock to have two endings. This was an interesting point to me about the design of the game and how much control did he really have over it, because Bioshock Infinite had a very troubled, you know, we talked about this last time, had a very troubled event cycle and had to bring in a closer. And then Bioshock itself he only wanted it to have one ending and he really didn't like the final boss with the you know the big gold statue which no one liked really i don't think anyone thought that was a good idea but he just couldn't think of any other way to end it or he couldn't himself think of any other way to end it i think so i think that's what it said they just couldn't think of a good way to end it so they just went with that they had to do something in many ways the the gameplay parts of the game like the mechanical gameplay parts of the game sometimes are the weakest bits weirdly the final fight with Fontaine in Bioshock, the fight with the songbird, or the fight where you're controlling the songbird anyway, at the end of Infinite, I didn't think was very good. But everything after that fight is incredible. Like the, the ending ending is incredible. So, well, it's difficult. Uh, but I think this is also just a, a sign of we haven't quite figured out how to do this kind of storytelling in a game. Clearly, we can do the storytelling in the game because the storytelling was amazing. but People have certain expectations about what a game should be. It's like, oh, it's the end. We need to have a climactic battle. Well, we didn't really need to have the climactic battle. And weirdly, maybe they did learn that lesson in Burial at Sea Part 2 because there isn't a climactic battle at the end. There's that slightly awkward room with lots of enemies in it. And then the freaky, freaky ending with the lobotomy and then the no combat cathartic moment of Sutron getting comeuppance and then would you kindly so maybe that's the alternative then again I'm not sure I like that better <laughs> there's always that problem of, of mixing in story elements with gameplay because sometimes they say there's a disconnect between who you are in the story and who you are in reality because you're just there murdering hundreds of people in any game not just Bioshock quite so that's all we have to say yep I think we're done. I feel I feel like I have said what I needed to say. A bit about Bioshock Infinite. We've we've said quite a bit, which is good because yeah, yeah. I feel like I've got it all out of my system. We wanted to talk about it originally in, in the first episode about Bioshock, but we weren't ready. But we are now. 
Well, I think I think closing the cycle, you know, this was the end of Bioshock Infinite and indeed Bioshock. Yeah. It felt like fan fiction in a way. Which is which is also, I think, kind of like Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I just there's so many weird parallels to it. It's probably just because I read it recently. People the people want more and we gave them more. And it was a little bit ham fisted, but it's weird because they had a season pass, so they had to build something as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. How about a game where you play the Lutest Twins and you just troll people? <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing. <laughs> that's my next game idea. <laughs> yeah, they don't have to take the the main element seriously. Like, you know, like how Red Dead, they just did zombies. We're done? We're done. We're done. We're done. We, are we going to talk about what we're going to play next? Yeah, we should. So next is my pick, and I feel kind of bad about this. I've actually been trying. I've actually been trying to back away from this because I'm really worried what this is going to do to both Ting and the podcast. But I really wanted to play Earthbound. We can play Earthbound. It's a forty-plus hours Super Nintendo RPG. We're not going to rush it, right? That's. I mean, that's the agreement we have. I think that makes that changes everything yeah so we're not going to try and just play through it in a month and have one episode dedicated to it yeah like 30 minutes to one hour where we try and cram in 40 hours of discussion we're going to try and do it a bit more like dev game club and take it more slowly and play a chunk each well probably a chunk each month are are we actually committing to get anywhere by the next episode or this is literally just your warning to acquire earthbound through legal means yes stern 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 look yeah i think if wink wink if we commit to it it means we're starting it that's important we can do like a a more of a formal introduction next time around and you can talk about why yes but this is your one month warning two week warning this is this is your advance notice to get hold of earthbound on the super nintendo it's on the virtual console. It's on the. It's on the Wii U virtual console. I have no idea how to get hold of this game. Okay, it's definitely available on some flavor of virtual console, or you might accidentally trip over and land on your keyboard in a funny way, and then you might find some kind of binary file that can replicate it on your PC. But I don't know. Who knows about that sort of thing? No, no, not us. So anyway, please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us on email mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club and twitter at lostlevelsclub and we don't do anything else anymore do we officially we have a subreddit slash r slash lostlevelsclub and we have a twitch lostlevelsclub but i haven't been doing much of either recently and we have a website and we have a website lostlevels.club please like contact us and tell us what's good or bad Tell us the good things as iTunes reviews and tell us the bad things privately by email. <laughs> but don't be too harsh because Cause I'm a fragile snowflake and I just have this facade of of being fine. <laughs> Ting's got a slightly worried expression. <laughs> on that note. On that note, I'm going to go and play Diablo 3. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>